it's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. Coming up in just a few minutes, there's something a lot of people are doing to pay for Christmas that is really hazardous to your financial health. We're going to talk about that. And coming up yet later, more than one in three Americans rent, and there's a new hurdle that you may see appearing when you go to rent a place that for many people will be an obstacle that didn't exist before and for others will actually provide a better opportunity to rent. I'm going to fill you in on that little riddle later. I hope that you had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday week and weekend and that if you like turkey, that you had turkey. Um, I'm not a turkey lover myself and actually did not taste any turkey, did not have any at all. But I did do some serious shopping. I say that, not really. I mean, I did some shopping and there were lots of things that I found that were really different than in prior years. Uh, On Black Friday... When I went to stores, there was no uh, crowd really to speak of like in prior years. I remember going into Costco, which was the first store I went to on Black Friday. They had opened an hour earlier than normal, and I parked right near the door and went inside. They had everything in stock I was looking for on their sale and went to the front and there I mean when has anybody ever seen what I'm about to tell you at a Costco this has never happened before I round the corner by the flowers where the registers are and there were four fully staffed registers without a person at them there were other registers open as well but I'm looking right in front of me. There are four registers, two employees per register, bored out of their mind. And so I went to the one that paid me the most money to get in their line. No, it was like, I mean, might as well have. They were so bored. And it's because there's been this big change in pattern. I went to uh, Costco, Walmart, Target, um, see, Micro Center. Ollie's, I go anywhere else, five below, and a lot of the stores I was not specifically shopping, I just wanted to get a feel for what it was like, and everywhere I went, there was no real press or evidence of crowds, and it's because this whole pattern has changed in terms of online shopping. Online shopping is going to represent, through the whole extravaganza of Black Friday month, let's call it now, because there have been so many rolling sales going on, that online is going to represent somewhere about uh, maybe 20 to, uh, maybe high end, maybe 22, 23% of shopping. That's up significantly from last year, but you start thinking about the days being dispersed for the sales 
and that the number of people having to do what the British call footfall, where they do these footfall counts, um, how many people are actually showing up in the stores to walk the aisles and shop, that you have a you have 20% of those shoppers, let's say, buying online instead of in the store, it has a big effect. And I was in a Walmart again yesterday because it was an item that we decided, an electronics item that we wanted to get for one of my daughters. And I looked around, it was an item that went on sale Friday at Walmart, and I didn't think about it till Saturday. And I'm looking for it, and so I kept changing my zip code, and I kept finding it out of stock, out of stock, out of stock. And then I changed it again to further and further away from home, and I found it available. So I bought it online to pick up at the store. And so I, I did that, and then I got a confirmation in the wee hours of the night that it was ready. And went the next morning, and uh, it was more drive than I was really bargaining for. But I got to the Walmart. They had 24 spaces with the orange signs where you could sit in the car, and they'd bring the stuff to you. And I was seeing this steady stream of employees coming out with these rolling carts with merchandise going to different cars. And I was like, you know what? I can use my own two feet. And went inside. I went to the kiosky thing read my barcode, bam, I had my items, and I went. But I turned around from the kiosk to walk out and look back, and this was Sunday of Black Friday weekend, and there were more employees in the store than there were customers. At the same time, Walmart, I'm sure, and Target, Best Buy, the the big retailers are all going to report very nice uh, uh, sale, not not bargains, I mean, their sales are going to be great in terms of revenue. Their revenue is going to be fine. But so much has shifted to what's referred to as click and collect. And it's so convenient because imagine if I hadn't looked online, hadn't seen that item was out of stock, and started driving to different Walmarts, what a waste of my time. So even though I had to go pretty far to get it, I was able to order it online, pick it up hours later, and it worked out really well. And so a lot of people are doing that, big amount of the shopping being done on people's phones. Uh, going back to Costco, Costco has never been promotional for the Christmas season like they've been this year. And they've never put such a big emphasis on selling at Costco.com. Turned out that their marketing people were ahead of their operations because they had massive computer failures that infuriated their membership base, that people couldn't buy anything that they were trying to buy on Costco.com on Thanksgiving Day. They extended it the next day. People still had trouble buying stuff. And obviously, that's something they'll have to get fixed by next year. Erica's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Erica, how much shopping did you do over the holiday weekend? Not too much, Clark, just a little bit. So for you, is the whole shopping extravaganza that this past week has been, is that basically Cyber Monday going on? Is that really a yawner for you? 
Yeah, for the most part. I just want to spend time with my family more than anything. Now, see how much better a person you just made yourself <laughs> out to be than... I mean, I didn't, I didn't say one nice thing about my family. <laughs> I didn't say anything about spending time with them. I'm just talking about shopping here or shopping there. And then you just chopped me off at the knees. That was Sorry perfect. That. No, that's perfect. Because what you just said is what really counts and what's important. Oh, <clears throat> well, we do love them, don't we? So what did you do? Did you feed them turkey? Yeah, we fed them. We played lots of games. We just kind of hung around the house. It was kind of rainy, and um, it was just a really nice, relaxing time. Well, I also, I forgot to mention that the big highlights for me was some of the football the last few days. Oh, yeah. I mean, Well, we're a basketball family, so that's what we were watching. I mean, you and I just can't mesh at all here, can we? Football, <laughs> basketball, loving your family, me being out in the stores. Wow. I got to really work on myself, don't I? No, no. You're great, Clark. We love you. <laughs> well, <laughs> how can I serve you today? Well, thanks for taking my call. Um, sure. So my husband and I, were we're about 40 years old, and... We're four years into our 30-year mortgage, and we'd love to pay it off a bit early, um, really honestly, just by the time we retire. Um, So instead of making extra principal payments, we would rather try and invest the money and feel like we'd get better returns over time. And I don't know what you'll think about this idea, but one thing I thought of is putting it in my husband's Roth IRA that we're not currently contributing to and letting it grow and doing that as a way to hopefully save on taxes and eventually just use it to pay off our mortgage 15 or 20 years down the road. So, so I know right. what you thought about that. So we got uh, several things to talk about here. One, in retirement, it's absolutely great to be mortgage debt free. It lowers the pressure on you, uh, allows you to have more freedom with the income you do have and the money you have saved, but you don't do it in lieu of doing the other things because you can't eat your house. So (laughs) making sure you're funding the Roth IRA each year is actually a higher priority than prepaying on a mortgage. Um, Second, at the time of retirement, it may not be the best idea if there's still some mortgage balance hanging out there, Erica. It may not mm-hmm. be the best idea for you to take a lump sum, let's say from a Roth, and pay off that mortgage. What interest rate do you carry with your mortgage? It's 3.875. So at 3.875, you're paying so little cost, relatively speaking, for having that mortgage outstanding that paying it off is actually a very low priority, at least in any kind of lump sum. So are you planning to retire in a normal retirement age or earlier? What are you thinking? Well, I I think my husband would like to retire like by by about 60. All right, so that's less than 20 years from now, or roughly 20 years from now. Right. And you've been in the mortgage three years. 
So you won't have a lot left as a balance on it, as a practical matter. And you'll be able to easily, if you consider inflation over the next two decades, you'll easily be able to handle the payments on whatever remaining balance there would be. So I would put a higher priority on funding the Roth, if possible, all the way up to the max each year. Okay. And that would come before you really try to work on the mortgage balance. And you said family, kids, all that. How many kids do you have? <laughs> I've got two. two and girls. how old are they? They're 9 and 12. So if, if in your family the culture is that college is part of the picture, putting money aside in a 529 yeah. plan would also be a higher priority than doing any real focus or emphasis on working on the mortgage balance. Okay. Are you doing 529s yet? Yeah, we are. Great. Um, Surprisingly, putting money in the Roth is a higher priority than putting money in the 529 account just because there are alternatives for college, but retirement's got to come out of your own wallet, and the Roth being a tax-free vehicle is such a great place to save for the long term. Today's Clark Rageous moment is about something that we are doing to ourselves. Scams, ripoffs, outrages. It's a Clark Rageous moment. So it's really, really easy as a consumer to take out an instant personal loan right on your smartphone. This is a booming business now, and it the solicitations are all over the place on social media or with ads you may see, and the average personal loan people are taking out is over $15,000. A lot of people taking out uh, as much as $30,000 in these loans, and the number of people who've taken these out 20 million. These loans carry a moderately high interest rate usually, not an outrageous interest rate, but a moderately high rate. And the thing is, a huge number of these loans are not being taken out because of a sudden financial emergency. A lot are being taken out as what I call lifestyle loans. An example, there's a new report out in a survey that Experian had done that found that one in three Americans acknowledge taking out a personal loan to deal with Christmas shopping. So think about that. One in three saying, hey, I can't afford all these things I want to buy for Christmas, so I'm just going to borrow the money. And any time that you're in a situation where you borrow money for lifestyle, it comes back to burn you because it leaves no cushion in your life for the unexpected. And on that issue of Christmas borrowing, I want you to know that, uh, just as we heard a moment ago from our caller, what really matters is the time you spend with your family. 
If you have young kids, I understand feeling like you need to buy them gifts. But for adults, adults should be smart enough to understand that if you tell them money's tight this year, that you baked them this or whatever, don't even have to give an explanation. You get into your kitchen and bake or you do something nice for somebody in lieu of spending money on them. Because going into debt to keep up appearances is absolutely not a wise move and it creates anxiety and financial pressure in your life. I don't want to be there. On the issue of being able to take out personal loans on your smartphone, it's not really smart to be able on a whim to just borrow money and say, well, they said I could have it. I'm going to take it. I'm so glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our main website. And ClarkDeals.com, our team has been at work literally around the clock for weeks, helping you save money on your shopping season. And uh, we're all over Cyber Monday with continuously updated information on the best deals for you at ClarkDeals.com. So this is Freaky Weird, and I've seen a couple of technology stories about it, and then I saw a financial one in the Wall Street Journal about the way landlords are screening tenants for apartments. As we have a significantly larger percent of Americans renting instead of owning or buying a home compared to historical averages, the screening process is a significant and important thing to so many Americans. Probably about, what is it now, 37% of American adults rent, I think is the number. So a huge uh, number of people. Historically, a landlord would run a credit check on a prospective tenant. And they might make a phone call or two or an email inquiry of prior landlords to see how you did as a rent payer. But today, landlords, uh, the big ones, are adopting much more sophisticated tools that use uh, big data, deep data, and artificial intelligence to come up with an acceptable score for you that if you're below the acceptable score, they don't rent to you. If you're above it, they'll rent to you. And it uses all different kinds of criteria than you might expect in order to decide if you are, in fact, a worthy tenant. Now, this has become a positive for people who work in the gig economy, where traditional income ratios and things like that might have prevented you from renting at a lot of apartment complexes. It's also been something that has become a path to renting for people who don't have a lot of traditional credit because the algorithms being used, and they vary from provider to provider, but they use a variety of different factors to screen you totally different 
than how you may have been screened in the past. One of the models cited in the Wall Street Journal is one that considers the type of debt you have and finds that people who have heavy student loan loads, debt loads, are much better payers than people who have credit card debt, as an example. And so there are different factors that they test for and determine whether or not you will be a suitable tenant. Now, why is this significant? There are many different models being used to score you. Uh, Small landlords typically aren't using these. Big landlords, though, aren't using one particular method. They're using many. So you may go to one apartment complex that rejects you or requires that you pay a bigger security deposit to rent from them, where another may say, hey, you're great, come on in. So it is one of those times without uniformity where how you'll be judged will vary from one company to another. And so you're in a position where right now, essentially, you can game this system. They're judging you by various criteria, and with one you may look great, another you may look terrible, and that's why don't be discouraged if one place tells you to get lost. The next one may say, when would you like to move in? Steve is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Steve. Hello, Clark. How are you today? Great. Thank you, Steve. How can I be of service to you? Well, I just wanted to get your thoughts on something uh, that I've been thinking about. Uh, You know, we're moving closer and closer to a cashless society. Um, You know, I I, I even pay, go to the grocery store and pay through the drive-thru, and I even go online and pay my utility bills with credit cards online. And so being, uh, I was thinking about being somewhat of a, of a contrarian, uh, is, in your experience, is there ever a time when it is appropriate to pay with cash and ask for cash discounts? I know there's the math involved, and, you know, merchants have, have merchant fees that they've got to pay on credit cards, and so, you, you, you know, for the math on my side, it would be the discount offered versus, um, you know, the, uh, to make that work. And, uh, and I don't know if it was like, um, you know, by seller, by amount of transaction, or just if you had seen anything where people were paying in cash and getting discounts versus just automatically whipping out the credit card. Sure. And that's a great question. And it's kind of haphazard now with I find that uh, more and more businesses, rather than saying they're giving a cash discount, say that the use of a card will require a 2.5% surcharge, sometimes 3% surcharge. Right. And so, and then you have something like what Target has done, where they have uh, used the red card as a way to try to get people to not use Visa, MasterCard, American Express, or Discover in their stores. And they give the loyalty credit of 5%, which is actually higher than what they were paying in merchant fees to Visa, MasterCard, American Express, and Discover. But they found that people who have the red card charge a lot more with them. So with a merchant, you know, you are saving them money when you pay with cash. Right. And so depending on the merchant, the bigger the 
ticket item is, the more they're going to be interested in giving you a cash discount. Great. So, uh, and I know what typical merchant fees are, what, around 2%, percent and a half? Well, people wish they, uh, business owners wish they were a point and a half to two. If something's a huge corporation, they're getting a percent maybe below 1.5, maybe 1.1. But if it's a smaller business, they may be effectively paying rates that once you add in all the junk fees they pay, that are 3% or higher. Wow. So there's some room there. And again, when you're dealing with a small business, that's a conversation you can have. When you're dealing with a big company, unless they have a structured program, they're not going to give you a discount for paying cash. Right. Okay. Well, again, I appreciate your thoughts, and thanks for all you and your team do. Absolutely. One special warning. If you're paying something for a business that's going to provide the service later, don't be tempted by the cash discount. Right. Because you lay out that money and they don't deliver that service, you are done. Where if you pay by credit card, you have special rights for failure to deliver services where you can dispute and likely get your money credited back to your account for up to 60 days. Dee is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Dee. Hi, Clark. How are you doing? Just peachy. How are you? Good, thank you. So how can yeah, I serve re- you? The reason why I'm calling is my family and I relocated to this area about seven years ago, and we've been listening to you ever since. And because of your show, I found out about the trip cancellation and interruption protection insurance with my Costco Citibank card. So we use that every year for our family vacation. Well, we went to use it this year, and somehow it got under our radar that that perk is no longer available with our Costco Citibank card. So now I'm just trying to find an alternative, maybe, for the trip cancellation interruption protection insurance. I've looked, and I haven't been able to find a credit card that didn't have a fee attached to it. I'm not not aware of any... There may be one that I don't know about, but I'm not aware of any that don't charge an annual fee. So the one that's the most popular is in terms of one that covers, uh, you know, trip cancellation, trip interruption, is the Chase Sapphire Preferred, which is, I'm trying to remember, is that 85 a year, 95 a year? And so you have to do a reasonable amount of travel or by expensive enough trips that it makes it worth that annual fee. The alternative to that is you buy a trip cancellation, trip interruption policy, but you're going to figure those are going to cost from four and a half cents of each dollar of the trip to about uh, six cents or so of each dollar of the trip. Yeah, we were looking into that because we weren't sure what to do, and it, it looks like that might be our best option because we don't do a lot of traveling. It's just an annual family vacation. But I did not know if you and what, what would the, How much is the vacation? Itself, it's a little over 1700 1700 You would be better off if you're worried about that just buying a one-time-use trip cancellation, trip interruption policy. Okay. And if you go to insuremytrip.com, that's where you can shop 
the broad waterfront of the policies and hopefully find one that will give you the right mix of benefits at a premium that won't kill you. Yes, perfect. Uh, right, one well, other thank thing, you so much. I appreciate if you it. Yeah. ever buy travel from Costco Travel, they sell um, the trip cancellation, trip interruption policies at a discount to the market. Perfect. All right, well, thank you so much. We really appreciate all your information. My family and I listen to you every day, and I also listen to you on the podcast at work. Well, that is great. Thank you so much. And Costco, how did you let Citibank do that and can that trip cancellation, trip interruption insurance? David's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, David. Hey, Clark. How are you doing? Great. Thank you, David. So you're thinking of buying a vacation home. Uh, yes, sir. Well, it's, uh, I'm actually thinking about just buying a second home in my area. Um, oh, as a, as a rental property? Well, I'd, I'd like to move into the new home and then keep my current home as the rental property. All right. And that's a very common thing. I've done that before. Producer Joel is doing that right now. Um, and the, there are a couple of questions I have for you. The sure. home you have right now that you're thinking of turning into a rental property after you move, what is its worth in the marketplace? Um, I'm thinking around 150. 150 grand. Yes, sir. And what do you expect you can earn in rent per month on that property? I think uh, from comparable rentals, about 1,200. Okay, that puts you uh, kind of in range of what would be a price ratio that works for a rental. It would be a it would be an obvious rental property if the rent you could get was about 1500 a month. But even mm, okay. at 1200 you're within range. So what's your carry cost on it each month? You know, what you pay for mortgage, taxes, insurance? Um, uh, 800, just about 800 even. So you'd be cash flow positive from the beginning, so that could mm-hmm. absolutely work as a rental property. Okay, great. That's, uh, that's what I was worried about because I hear this uh, 1% rule uh, you know, talked about a lot, so I, I didn't know if I really needed to hit that or just sell it. So if you're patient and you keep that as a rental for a, a lengthy period of time, that'll work for you as a rental. And I think okay. the last caller I had was in a position where the rent they would receive was uh, 0.3 of 1%. I mean, oh. you're, and that just can't work. But where you are, the numbers do work. Great. So feel good about that. Are you going to still be able to come up with a substantial down payment on the home you're hoping to move into? Yes, sir. We're, we're going to do uh, 20% down. Well, <laughs> I'd say you are just fine. You're going to not have private mortgage insurance. You're going to have instant equity in the new home. And you'll be getting a net positive check every month from your current home as a rental. I'd say that's a great green light situation you should do. Anita joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Anita. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? Good, thank you. Anita, you're going to ask a question about something nobody ever asks me about anymore. I'm glad you're asking it. Well, I've been thinking about it a lot, and um, 
ever since my son was small, his grandparents gave him savings bonds. Um, he is now 20 years old, and I'm not sure. First of all, I know you used to get these at banks, which you can't get there anymore. So I'm not sure how to cash them out or when to cash them out. So they're actual paper bonds? Paper bonds. So paper bonds you can still cash at uh, most banks that or credit unions. So oh. all you got to do is check with them to see if they cash savings bonds. And then they may have some rules about, you know, um, when they do it and how they do it and whatever. Um, the You know, most people in recent years have electronic ones. And you just do that with the U.S. Treasury and they they automatically just deposit the money for the bonds you're cashing in into your checking account or savings account or whatever. But the paper ones are kind of a legacy thing out there. And... <laughs> That's how you do it. So if they are, are they as old as your son is? Are they 20 years old? Some of them are, yes. So the older ones may be earning a good enough rate of interest that you don't want to cash them in until they're 30 years old. Okay. How's that for a wrinkle? Well, that's good. I just, you know, I, I don't know. I know um, I've heard mixed comments about whether to go ahead and cash them in or not cash them in. So the reason um, the comments so, are mixed is the answer to that is totally based on what kind of underlying earning rate or interest rate they have. And if you go onto the savings bond website, which is treasurydirect.gov, and then you can go research what series EEs and series I's or earning based on the actual issue date or serial number on that bond. And then you know, hey, this one's earning much higher than what the interest rates are anybody can earn today. I'm going to keep this one and let it earn till it's 30 years old. On the other hand, if you've got some that are earning a pitiful rate of interest, the best thing to do is what you're thinking of doing, finding a bank or credit union that will cash them in and get that money. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.